listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit stonegate.church. Well, today is a special Sunday for us. It is a sending Sunday. These are amazing Sundays in the life of our church. It's a Sunday where we get to pray for and commission and send a precious group of people from within our church family to go out and plant a church on the south side of Fort Worth. We just, um, when we think about Sundays like this, we just receive them as such a gift from the Lord. There's literally thousands upon thousands of miracles that go into making a Sunday like this possible. So as a church family, I'm just praying that we can all receive this as a miracle and as a gift from Jesus today as we send out um, a church planter and a team of people around, uh, around them. So to get started, let me, let me uh, ask this question and just pose this question to you. If somebody came up to you and asked you, um, what is a healthy church? How would you respond to that? Uh, what is a healthy church? Now, there are so many things that you could say in response to that question, but there's one phrase in Acts chapter 11 that I just love. I think it says so much about what a healthy church is and what you're looking for in a healthy church. Uh, and let me, let me just help tease out the context of Acts 11 before I read th this particular phrase. In Acts 11, uh, it starts, the book of Acts, in, in Acts 1 and 2. And you've got the, the disciples gathered in Jerusalem. And if you remember in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches a sermon uh, at Pentecost and thousands of men and women get saved and rescued by Jesus. It's an amazing moment in the book of Acts. And, uh, and the, you know, in a lot of ways, the New Testament church just sort of gets its foothold right there in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. Uh, but then by the time you get to Acts chapter 8, um, systematic persecution has broken out in Jerusalem and the Christians there scatter. Uh, they scatter to all parts of sort of the known world out of Jerusalem. And as they scatter, they begin to talk about Jesus to people, and people begin to receive Jesus, and people begin to start following Jesus. And as those followers of Jesus congregated in cities, they begin to plant churches. And one of those particular church plants was in Antioch, one of the first churches planted in the New Testament. And so in Acts chapter 11, Barnabas goes down to Antioch to check on this newly established church. He's just going to go make sure that they're doing okay down there. And then in Acts chapter 11, he gets there, and this is what Barnabas says about the church in Antioch. In Acts 11, uh, verse 23, it says, when he, talking about Barnabas, when he, Barnabas, when he came and, and looked at the church, it says this about that church, he saw the grace of God. Isn't that an interesting phrase? He goes to the church in Antioch, and, and he just starts to, to, to move around among the church there, and he says, I saw the grace of God. Now, if there is only one thing I could say about what makes a church a healthy church, it's when you can go into that church and you can see the grace of God. That's what a healthy church is. Isn't that an amazing thing to consider? that it's possible to make the invisible grace of God visible. That that's what a church, a healthy church is doing. It's, it's making visible the grace and mercy of God. That's what a healthy church does. Now, when you walk inside of a healthy church, you can see and sense God and his grace. The felt presence of God is there. Now, when you walk into a healthy church, you don't just read health in their doctrine. You see it in their culture. Or you can think about it this way. 
Church health isn't just determined by what's believed, it's also determined by what's seen, by what you can sense and feel in that church. And here is what is true about the church in Antioch. This is what made it a healthy church. The grace of God was visible both in their creed, what they believed, and in their culture, what you could see in and around that church family. Now, what is it that makes the invisible grace of God visible? What is it that that Barnabas, when he goes inside of this church and just begins to to walk around and look around in this church, what is he seeing? What puts flesh and bones onto the grace of God so that it can be felt and experienced by people? Now, Acts chapter 13 gives us some pointers. It shows us some of what Barnabas saw when he walked into the church in Antioch. And let me just read these first three verses again. Acts 13, verse 1. And by the way, it'd be helpful to have a Bible out so you can follow along with us. Acts 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, I would love to spend some time in verse 1. We're not going to have time today, but I, I love verse 1 because it shows the diversity of the church and its leaders. Their leadership team was made of all sorts of colors and cultures and backgrounds, yet the good news of Jesus had enough gravitational pull to provide unity even in the midst of that great diversity that you see there among the leaders of the church. But this is one way that the grace of God is made visible, a diverse church family, diverse leadership. And by the way, I would just encourage you to pray for that for our church family, that we would grow in diversity and our leadership would grow in diversity. But let's move on to verses two and three. And these two verses point out two things I just want to show you here, uh, that when Barnabas walks into this church, these are some of the things that he is seeing that make the invisible grace of God visible to him. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Let me just make, point out two things from this text. Uh, two, two things that show us some of what Barnabas is seeing that, that made the grace of God visible. Here, here's one mark. Barnabas is witnessing and experiencing and seeing in this church spiritual vibrancy. Spiritual vibrancy. What does it mean to be spiritually vibrant? A spiritually vibrant person has a heart that is open and alive to Jesus. That's what a spiritually vibrant person is. Their heart is open and alive to Jesus. In contrast, a a person that's not spiritually vibrant, their heart is closed and calloused to Jesus, just numb to the beauty and the worth of who Jesus is. But a spiritually vibrant person, their heart is open and alive. They're seeing Jesus in all of their life. Their life, their heart is alive to the person of Jesus. Think about this, with a spiritually vibrant person, the good news of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has, has invaded their soul, has broken into their heart, and it's warmed their heart, it's brought their heart to life, and it's produced in them this beautiful openness to God. God, what do you want? And I'm in. It's that sort of openness that, that Barnabas is seeing here. <clears throat> now, we see in this text 
some evidences of what it looks like to be a spiritually vibrant person, some, some marks of spiritual vitality here. And let me just show you a couple of these. Look in verse two. It says they worshiped Jesus. They were worshiping Jesus. Now, when you hear that word worship, don't just think singing. Worship is an act of whole life surrender. That, that's what worship is. It's an act of whole life surrender. That, that word that's translated worship in, in verse two there, that word in the Greek shows up in three different places in the New Testament. This is one of them in Acts 13. And in Acts 13, it's translated as worship. Uh, but then in Romans 5 and, and Hebrews chapter 10, that same exact Greek word is translated into English as serve. Uh, not, not as worship, but as serve. But, but I think it's rounding out and showing as part of what th this word means, that, that the worshiping Jesus and part of what that word in this context means. Uh, that word worship is this willingness to lay down your life so Jesus can be lifted up. Uh, that's what the church in Antioch was doing. Uh, they were worshiping Jesus. They, they were willing in an ongoing way to lay down their lives so Jesus could be lifted up, to, to serve him, to offer their life to him. So, so when you think worship, yes, it is singing in part. It is engaging with God with a heart that is alive to God as we sing. But even more, it's, it's this um, way of living before God where we are in an ongoing way offering our life to Jesus. In an ongoing way, bringing our life to Jesus as a blank check before him and saying to God, whatever you want, whenever you want it, yes, God, I am a yes to, do, to you. Or think of it like this. Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, says it this way. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I want you to offer the whole of you as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And then listen to what he says, which is your spiritual worship. There's the word worship again. It's this ongoing offering of your life. It's presenting the whole of you before God and saying, my life is holy in your hands. It is all yours, oh God. Now, here's the problem. We are all living sacrifices, right? And part of what every living sacrifice wants to do is, even though there's been a point in our life where we have offered our lives to the Lord, a living sacrifice constantly finds itself trying to wiggle off of the altar, constantly trying to take our life back, saying to God, yes, God, I know that I've given my life to you, but today I'm going to have to take it back. Today, I'm going to need that, that life back. So Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present is in the present tense, which means it's an ongoing, continual action. It's every day of our life, offering our life, and then re-offering our life, and then re-offering our life again to him. When's the last time you've done that? Just looked up to the Lord and said, God, my life is wholly yours. It's not mine. It is yours. So today, God, you can do whatever you want. My agenda today is going to be your agenda today. And if your agenda in some ways crosses me or is inconvenient to me, you win, God, because my life is yours. They were worshiping Jesus. That's a mark of spiritual vitality. It goes on in verses two and three. They were praying and fasting. Do you see that there? They prayed and they fasted. Now, what, what is prayer? New City Catechism, question 38. 
answers that question. What, what is prayer? And here's its answer. Prayer is pouring out our hearts to God. Prayer is how we commune with God. It's how we get to know the heart of God. And this is one of the things I love about the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms are really poetic prayers. They are a heart that is open to God, um, communicating with God, pouring out their heart to God. In a lot of ways, the Psalms are just they're really a model for spiritual vibrancy. In the Psalms, you see a Psalm like Psalm 42.1, where the psalmist looks up at God and says, as the deer pants for water, so my soul pants after you, O God. That's a heart that is open and alive to Jesus. When, when the psalmist is in trouble in Psalm 121, verses one and two, the psalmist cries out, I lift up my eyes to the hills, for where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Prayer, pouring out our hearts to God. They were praying and then they were fasting. Fasting is a way for Christians to give expression to the deep longing they have for Jesus and his return. That's what fasting is for. This is, this is the reason God has put the gift of fasting into your hand. It is a way for you to express, this is how much I want Jesus and this is how, how much I long for his return. So every time you forgo physical bread, that's fasting. You're, you're forgoing eating. When you do that, it's a way for you to say, but, but God, it, it, my heart wants so much more than I want this physical bread. My, my heart wants Jesus, the bread of life. It's a way for your heart to get to express that. And when we don't long for Jesus in the way that we should, fasting is a way of saying, the ache in my stomach for food doesn't compare to the ache that I want to have for you, oh Jesus. They were praying and they were fasting. That's a mark of spiritual vitality. And then look at this last part. It says they listened. They were listening and obeying. The Holy Spirit came and, and spoke to them. They listened and then they did what God said do. That's a mark of spiritual vitality, just listening and obeying Jesus. And I just want to affirm, God is still speaking like this. God still talks to his people like this. Now, how does God talk to his people? Well, primarily through the Bible. Every time you open up the Bible and read it, here is what you can know about that moment. God is talking to you. Every time you open the Bible, you are reading God's words to his people. So that's one reason we should delight daily in Jesus by opening up the Bible and praying. That is God talking to you. So, so how does God talk to us? Primarily through the Bible, but that's not the only way that God talks to us. God also talks to us just like he does to the church leaders in Antioch through impressions and promptings and visions and dreams, etc. Now, let me clarify here. Every way that God speaks to us outside of the Bible has to be submitted to what God says to us in the Bible. I want to say that one more time. Every way that God speaks to us outside of the Bible, uh, promptings, impressions, visions, dreams, every way that God speaks to us outside of the Bible has to be submitted to what God says to us in the Bible. So if you were to come to me and say, I think God wants me to do thing X, but thing X is in, in contrast to what the Bible says, then the Bible wins. I'm going to go with the Bible over what you feel like the Lord's saying to you, right? So we want to make sure everything is submitted to the scriptures. But here's the point. Jesus is talking to them. God is talking to them through the Holy Spirit, and they are obeying. They're listening and obeying. And this it isn't just in their past. This wasn't just, hey, a few years ago, God did that. 
No, no, it's like in the present, God is speaking to them and they're listening and then they're obeying. That's a mark of spiritual vitality. And here's what's true of your life right now. If you're a follower of Jesus, right now where it matters most to you, God is speaking to you, leading you to the places he wants you to go, addressing those things in you that he wants to address. And the question is, are we listening? Are we hearing the voice of the Lord as we open up the Bible? As we sit and listen to him, are we listening? And then are we obeying or are we resisting the work of the Lord in our life right now? Part of what spiritual vitality looks like is a heart that is always listening and obeying. This is, this is spiritual vibrancy. Spiritual vibrancy is a heart that is open and alive to Jesus, that shows itself in a heart that is engaged with Jesus, wants more of Jesus, continually offering and then re-offering their life to Jesus. That's spiritual vitality, a heart that's pouring itself out in prayer and is an expression of how much it wants Jesus and his return is fasting. That spiritual vitality looks like a heart that is listening to Jesus, obeying Jesus where it matters most. Uh, listening and obeying. And, and church, I, I just want to remind you, everybody wants to be a part of a spiritually vibrant church. Everybody wants that. Every follower of Jesus wants that. But as a church family, we will only be as spiritually vibrant as you are. So if we want to be a part of a church that is spiritually vibrant, here's what that means. You and I have to be before the Lord just pleading and begging with the Lord to produce these things in us. We have to be pursuing spiritual vibrancy ourselves. So, so if today you would say, yes, there is a lot of vibrancy in me, then praise God for that. and Just ask the Lord to deepen that in you. Uh, but if you're here today and you're like, no, no there's really not a lot of spiritually, uh, spiritual vibrancy in me. I, I am more closed and callous to God than I am open and alive to God. Then th this is a moment for you to beg the Lord to come in and, and do the miracles inside of you that need to be done today. And, and you know what the Lord loves to do? Those very miracles. He, he loves to break into our hearts in the very places where we need new life and, and produce that new life in us. Uh, so ask the Lord for that. Uh, ask the Lord to come in right now in this moment, producing those things in you. So this is Mark 1, spiritual vibrancy. And here's Mark number 2 that we see in this text. Uh, Barnabas comes into this church. There is um, the grace of God that is visible the grace of God that's normally invisible is, is seen and felt and experienced. What, are, what is it about this church that's doing that? Here's the second thing. Second thing we see in Acts 13 is they were sending for the sake of multiplication. They were sending for the sake of multiplication. This is another mark of what makes the grace of God visible. Churches who will send some of their best people for the sake of multiplication. Now, I'm gonna take just a brief moment to, to back up and do a little bit of work on that word multiplication. It is a big biblical theme. You see it throughout the scriptures. And that word multiplication, when you back up and just start reading the Bible from Genesis 1, 1 and, and on, you see multiplication woven by God into the world that he created. You see it all throughout his, his created world. So in Genesis 1, on the third day, God created vegetation and plants and, and trees, but he creates a vegetation in a certain way. He, he creates them by loading them with seeds and the potential to multiply, and then he tells them to multiply. 
He created them for multiplication. And then on the fifth day, he created the animals. And God says to them, really blesses them in Genesis 1 verse 22 and says to the animals, be, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. Multiplication is not a man-made idea. It's a God-made idea. And God wove this, this idea of multiplication right into the world that he created. On the sixth day, God created our first parents, Adam and Eve. And God pronounces then a blessing over them in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. He tells them, our first parents, be fruitful and multiply. And then if you read the story forward in Genesis chapter 3, our first parents sinned against God and their hearts grew dark. And those dark hearts were passed down to their kids and then to their kids' kids and so on. And their dark-hearted sin against God became so grievous that in Genesis chapter 6, God sent a flood. But in his grace, he rescued a remnant, Noah and his family. And do you remember when Noah and his family got off the boat, what God said to them in Genesis 9? He pronounces that blessing from Genesis 1 over them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then you get to Genesis chapter 12, and God calls Abraham and makes a promise to Abraham. And here's the promise to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. It's a promise of multiplication. And then you get to Exodus. You're through Genesis. Now you turn the page into Exodus, and the people of God are now enslaved in Egypt. But one of the first things we see and, and find in Exodus is God fulfilling that multiplication promise. In Exodus chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, the scriptures tell us that then Joseph died and all of his brothers and all of that generation, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. <clears throat> That's God fulfilling his promise of multiplication. And then God rescues his people out of slavery and leads them back to the promised land. And in a way, this is God recreating, and it's almost a reenactment of Genesis 1 and 2, where God welcomed his people into the Garden of Eden, a place where they could flourish and multiply. And as they come into the promised land, here's what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The scriptures tell us, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, all the laws that God had commanded them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. You see that promise of multiplication playing out in the promised land. But then in a reenactment of Genesis chapter 3, the people of God rebel against God over and over and over again if you read the Old Testament. And finally, God kicks them out of the promised land and the people of God go into exile. But there in exile, even in exile, God is after multiplication. You read it in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 6, where Jeremiah, or God through Jeremiah says, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there in exile and do not decrease. This is the scripture showing us that multiplication is, is in the heart of God and multiplication then by God is woven into God's world. Now, I love reading the Old Testament and the New Testament beside each other because in a lot of ways, the Old Testament or the New Testament uh, takes Old Testament thoughts and themes 
and um, it takes what in some ways is murky in the Old Testament and polishes it, shines it up where we can see it really clearly in the New Testament. And this is what you have with this idea of, 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 multi, you know, of multiplication, be fruitful and multiply. In the Old Testament, there's, there's no doubt the emphasis when, when you read the phrase, be fruitful and multiply, multiply is on physical procreation. It's God telling his people, I want you to have babies. I want you to fill the, the earth with little image bearers. But every time you read, be fruitful and multiply in the Old Testament, it is a signpost pointing us forward to Jesus and King Jesus's agenda for his kingdom. Be fruitful and multiply is really a way for God to say, yes, fill the world with little image bearers, but I want those image bearers to be spiritually descendant of you. I want them to be people who love and enjoy me. So in a lot of ways, the New Testament equivalent to be fruitful and multiply is Matthew 28. When Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, that is the spiritual equivalent of be fruitful and multiply. I want you to have sons and daughters, not, not just physically, but in the faith. Be fruitful and multiply. Go and make disciples of all nations. Then you get to the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read this. Uh, it's Jesus telling his disciples, you're going to be my witnesses. You're, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be fruitful and you're going to multiply. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then you have the play out of the book of Acts. And here's what you find in the book of Acts. Throughout the book of Acts, you see the people of God empowered by the spirit of God multiplying. That's what you have in the book of Acts. You see the idea of multiplication, that word multiplication coming up throughout the book of Acts. And this is how multiplication happens in the book of Acts. Disciples make disciples who plant churches. That's multiplication in the book of Acts in a sentence. Disciples make disciples who plant churches. This theme is woven into the scriptures and it's woven in to the fabric of the church in Antioch. Now look at verse two again. Verse two says, well, they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So the Holy Spirit comes to the people in this church and they say, I, I want you to set aside, the Holy Spirit says, I want you to set aside Barnabas and Paul, some of your best leaders, I want you to set them aside and I want you to send them to the work that I have called them. Now, what is the work that he has called them to do? The rest of the book of Acts fills in the details. They, their work was gonna be go and make disciples and help those disciples plant churches. That's their work, make disciples and plant churches. The Bible in a lot of ways from Genesis to Revelation is telling the story of multiple multiplication. And the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is an invitation for all of the sons and daughters of God, for the people of God to come into that story of multiplication. It is an invitation to you and to me to come into God's story, what he is doing in the world. Now, let me apply this in two ways. How would multiplication, how might that be applied? Let me just do it in two ways, a personal way and a corporate way. Here is the personal way that multiplication ought to first be applied. It's really simple. Disciples make disciples. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, here's, how, here's the story God is inviting you into. As a disciple, 
Be about the work of making disciples. This is how we multiply. We get around people far from Jesus. We open up our heart and we talk to people who are far from Jesus and we trust that Jesus will do that saving, rescuing work. And then when a person meets Jesus, we invest our life into to that person to help them become more like Jesus in all of life through the power of the Spirit. We are a disciple who makes disciples. So just ask yourself the question, is that true of you? Are you in the story of multiplication? Are you making disciples? Are you, are you being used by God for people who are far from God so they will meet Jesus and people who know God to help them grow up and mature in Jesus? Are you in the story of multiplication? If not, God is inviting you into that story today. I, I love Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 where Paul says that we are God's workmanship that a beautiful thought? We, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And then it says this, which God prepared before. And isn't that amazing? That before you ever were, God thought of you, prepared works for you before you ever existed, before you were ever part of God's family. And then it says that we should walk in them. And I don't know all of the works that God has planned for you, but I do know this, that a part of every son and daughter of God, a part of Every one of our lives, the work that he has planned for you is multiplication, for you to be a disciple maker, for you to get your life around people who are far from Jesus so they can meet Jesus, for you to get your life around followers of Jesus so you can help them mature in Jesus. And is that happening in your life? Are you making disciples? Again, I don't know what disciple making should look like in your life right now, but you ought to have an answer for that. This is what disciple making right now looks like for me. This is how it's, it's playing out in my life. This is how I'm involved in the story of multiplication. Disciples make disciples, and let me apply it on a church-wide corporate level. Churches plant churches. So personally, disciples make disciples, and then churches plant churches. This is what we're seeing throughout the book of Acts. They made disciples and they planted churches. Now, I want to just take a moment to think about how this church family got here. It's really an amazing thing to just consider. How does this, how does Stonegate happen? How how are we sitting in this room? How are you gathering with us online? How how does this moment happen? Well, let's just tease that out for a moment. The church started in Jerusalem. Persecution broke out. Uh, Christians scattered. As they scattered, they started talking about Jesus. People started meeting Jesus, and then they started planting churches. The church in Antioch is a good illustration of that. And the church in Antioch was a church planting beast. They were all about sending people out so that churches could be planted. And then the church began to spread out of Antioch and out of the Middle East in virtually every direction. And eventually, churches started planting churches, and it jumped across the ocean, and churches started getting planted in North America. And eventually, churches kept planting churches, and churches started getting planted all the way in Texas. And then one day, churches kept planting churches, and this little church called Tate Springs was planted on Little Road and 20, right, right there as the, they kind of converge, right there in that little triangle, right off of I-20. Uh, Tate Springs got planted. A guy named Charles Clary was pastoring Tate Springs in the late 80s and early 90s. And one day, an African-American man walked in. His name was Dwight McKissick. He showed up and said, I think the Lord is asking me to plant a church. Would you help? Charles looks at Dwight and says, I would love to help you. And then Cornerstone Church was planted in South Arlington. 
And then another guy walks in and says, I, I think the Lord is, is asking me to plant a church. And Charles says, I would love to help you too. And South Oaks was planted in kind of that North Mansfield, South Arlington area. And then another guy walks in and says, I, I think the Lord's asking me to plant a church. And Charles says, I would love to help you. And Rush Creek was planted up in Arlington. And then they had a guy on staff, his name was Randy. And the Lord set him apart to plant a church. And Charles said, I would love to help you get that, that church going. And so he helped Randy plant a church called Walnut Ridge in Mansfield. In 2002, I got hired as the student uh, minister at Walnut Ridge, spent about seven years there doing student ministry. And then Walnut Ridge, just in a lot of ways, passing along the very thing that they had been uh, given themselves, uh, they sent me along with a team of 20 or 30 adults to plant Stonegate in Midlothian. And now I wanna just take a quick look back at our uh, roughly 11 year history. We're gonna turn 11 next Sunday, which is amazing to me. It feels like it's been two blinks. Uh, but in the last 11 years, here's what's happened. Uh, the Lord has allowed us to play a part in just numerous churches getting up and off the ground. Uh, Jim Essien over at the Paradox Church in Fort Worth, we've been able to help. Uh, Ross Appleton, Christ Community Church in Denton, we've been able to help. Jeremy Pace at Christ City Church in Dallas, we've been able to help. Ben Conley at City Church Fort Fort Worth, we've been able to help. Jeff Lawrence at Redemption Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. Jason Brewer at Mercy Church in Frisco. John Murphy, Veritas Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Aaron Fair in Southeast Asia. Pastor Sudakar in Hyderabad, India. William Subosh in Bangalore, India. And William is just planting churches like crazy across the area that he's in. Dustin Neely, Refuge Church in Franklin, Tennessee. Jason Hatch, Redeemer uh, Church in Midland, Texas. Dan Romer in Bath, England. Micah Caswell, uh, Redeemer Denton in Denton, Texas. Uh, Raphael, City Church up in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Uh, Josh Elsom, Soma Church down in Waxahachie. Ryan Keeney at Grace Church in Benbrook. Kanan Parker, Pillar Church in Fort Worth. Jake Ledette at Northbrook Church in kind of North Fort Worth. Uh, Josh Searcy, Icon Church in Seattle, Washington. In the last uh, roughly 11 years, that, that's 20 churches right there. And many of those churches have begun to plant daughter churches. So you're seeing the next generation of churches being planted and, and, and the gospel multiplying in that way. And then at the same time, as we've been helping churches like this, we've also been able to bring in church planting residents. And our church planting residents, we have a deep investment in. They typically spend a couple of years with us. We're doing a lot of intense um, training with them, trying to do everything we can to help prepare them for planting. And so our first one was a guy named Casey Maddox. He came in for a couple of years, then we sent him out to Lawrence, Kansas, and he planted Free City Church, and they're just doing great. They're off and going and just doing such a good job up there. And then uh, back in 2016, Brad Marvin came and we sent him up into Arlington to plant Restore Church. And then in 2017, Valentine, who'd been here for several years, we sent to, to Cedar Hill to plant Omni Fellowship. And now, Stonegate, we get another one of our church planting residents. Uh, Derek Kimes and a team of people are about to be sent out today to plant Trailview Church. <clears throat> and so just to be able to kind of introduce Derek, why don't you uh, take a look up at the screen so that you can uh, get a sense of Derek, his family, and what's in front of them. Hey, 
church family, my name is Derek Kimes, and for the past two years, I've been the church planning resident right here at Stonegate. I want to let you know about something amazing God is doing right now in our midst. In just one month, my wife Rachel, our three kiddos, Noah, Levi, and Joanna, and a great team are headed out to plant Trailview Church in the South Fort Worth area, and we couldn't be more excited. South Fort Worth is a rapidly growing place. The cities of Burleson and Crowley currently have a population of over 125,000. And with the development of the Chisholm Trail Parkway, the population is expected to almost double. The statistics alone say, yes, somebody come plant a church here, or multiple churches right here in the Burleson Crowley area. But this isn't why we're planting Trailview Church. Through high school, college, and 10 years of ministry in the Burleson Crowley area, the Lord has given me eyes to see and understand the people. He's cultivated in me an affection for them and implanted a desire to see them be transformed by the gospel. To see disciples made, marriages healed, unity displayed in diversity, people being freed from shame, and more churches planted. This is the driving force behind planting Trailview Church. We want to make disciples of Jesus who delight in Jesus. You know, Rodney Hobbs always says for a church plant to succeed, it needs the Lord to do a few hundred miracles along the way. And one of those miracles is the provision of a great team to plant with. Thanks be to God that in his kindness, he has done just that through a staff member right here at Stonegate. In my first few months at Stonegate, I began working in the Connect ministry with Brandon Bergle. It wasn't long after working with him that I began praying for Brandon, his wife Lauren, and their kids, that they would join us as we set out to plant Trailview. In early April 2019, I asked him to pray about partnering with me as our first staff member. This was one of those miracles. Brandon and Lauren love Stonegate Church. You have been such a healing blessing and joy to their whole family. This truly is one of God's miracles for us that the Lord and his divine provision brought the Bergvalls to Stonegate three years ago and us a year and a half ago to send us out together to plant Trailview Church. In September 2019, we gathered a team of 10 adults in our home, all committed to help plant Trailview Church, and we began to pray. We prayed for the next seven months for the Lord to equip us, to raise up home group leaders, to save souls, and to bring people to Trailview Church. I remember praying for the Lord to bring 60 people, and he provided. And then praying for the Lord to bring 100 people, and he provided. Now Trailview has four home groups with three home group leaders in training, and 121 people. Another miracle from our kind father. And now things are just moments away. Trailview Church will launch its first weekly worship gathering September 13th at 10 a.m. As we set out in faith to plant, would you join us in praying for three things? That the people of Trailview would delight in Jesus. Number two, that we would see hundreds of disciples made. And number three, for the hundreds of miracles that we need, for the people and leaders we need, for the resources and financial support we need, for the favor from the Lord and in the community we need. Pray with us for these things. Stonegate, we love you and thank you. We couldn't have done this without you. Himes and Bergvalls. That's right. <laughs> gosh, what a day. What a day. And you know, Derek, I think back, uh, gosh, it was about two years ago when we were meeting in a Starbucks and you were trying to figure out what you're about to do with your life. And, uh, 
You know, it was an amazing moment how the Lord just in a lot of ways is connecting a thousand dots just in one conversation to, uh, to on-ramp and to really begin to lay the tracks for this moment. Um, for in a lot of ways, probably the, the work that the Lord has set before your life. Um, and that's an amazing thing. When I think back over the last 18 months to, to two years, um, one of the great joys of my life has been able to see the Lord mature you and grow you, equip you, and get you ready to plant a church. And Brandon, gosh, it has been, uh, we've got a lot of water under the bridge, known each other for a long time. And uh, what a windy road the last few years have been for you. Um, on your way to Costa Rica to help with the church planning network, uh, to that not uh, happening in a way that was hurtful and just hard, and the Lord opening up a door at Stonegate for you to come here and just be able to love on the, the people of Stonegate, which you've done just such a great job at. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for being just such a good presence in and around our church family and loving our people so, so well. And, uh, you know, it's amazing for me to, to look back over just the many different things the Lord has been up to in your life uh, to create a moment like this, which what's in front of you is likely a big part of the Lord's sort of work that he's designed for your life. It's been an amazing thing. And I also just want to take a, a minute to just address these two precious ladies, um, Rachel and Lauren. Gosh, I just can't think of two ladies that um, are better equipped and wired to serve in a context like this. You're faithful gals, um, you're godly, um, you're submissive to the Lord, um, you, you, you worship the Lord, your life is really bent around serving him. And so I just wanna say thank you. Um, your giftings are so precious and they're recognized and they're just so valued. And so I just wanna say thank you for being the, the, the particular you that the Lord has made. And my wife, because she is so good with stuff like this, has created uh, just a little journal for both of y'all. Uh, in a lot of ways, just to be able to track the story of what the Lord's gonna have in front of you over the next uh, decades of your life. Um, so that you'll have an Ebenezer for you to be able to rehearse and remember the many miracles that the Lord is about to do in front of your church. And Ryan, I know you have been right in it with these guys too over the last couple of years. And so, yeah, I'll let you just love on them for, sure. for a minute. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's so wild to think about how we got to this moment and all the Lord has done behind the scenes. It's just so many moments of faithfulness adding up to a, a moment like this. And so, you know, Brandon, over the last couple of years as we've gotten to know each other and even just the role you've played in seeing Stonegate grow and go through a lot of changes, the word that just comes to mind constantly when I think of you is willing. Uh, there's just a willingness. There's an open-handedness to saying yes to the Lord. Uh, from stepping into all sorts of different roles and responsibilities at Stonegate. Anytime like, there's been something we've needed done or given leadership to or oversight or direction, you've just said yes. Yeah. So there's just such willingness that comes from you. And it's not even just like a, a compliant, but it's a joyful willingness. Yeah. And I think that joyful willingness is going to serve the people of Trailview in such an immense way. Yeah. And so just thankful for you and what the Lord's done in your life the last couple of years. And uh, Derek, when I think of you, man, I just, the last couple of years, like Rodney was saying, just seeing how much you've matured and, uh, and, and just in some ways deepened your resolve for what the Lord's doing in your life. Uh, I love when I speak to you, there's such a sense of conviction and even just a holy ambition to see the people uh, of Trailview be healthy and to see them be on mission. So um, I just love that. I love that you've got such a, a resolve and a conviction of what the Lord's calling you to do and where he's taking you. And then even to just see your character deepen. Uh, there's just such a, a presence now when I, I come around you of just saying, I want to enter into people's lives. The good, 
the fun, as we've talked about, and even the hard and the really difficult. And so, man, I'm just really excited. The people of Trailview are going to be blessed with some great pastors. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you bet. And we would love to bring in their core team, too, which I think um, a lot of those guys are here, so they should be ready to come in right here. So, yeah, let's just thank God for these guys. Yeah. It is such a gift from the Lord to be able to start with a group of people who are committed with you. It really just doesn't happen apart from that. And so this is just evidence of the Lord's grace um, that this crew of people right here are here and ready to see a church planted. Isn't that amazing? It's an amazing thing. (laughs) There's enough people where you're going to have to skew down a little bit more. That's a good problem to have when you're planting a church. And so we just want to take a quick second to just affirm those who uh, are going to be a part of this core team to see this church planted. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was just looking this last week at a, uh, at a picture, and it was uh, the sort of trial run moment that we had as a church family uh, about 11 years ago. It was like a week before we kind of launched services publicly. And so we just did a, well, we better figure out how to set up a room and like make all that work. And so we all got together the week before and did that. And then we snapped a picture. And that picture had about um, 45 people in it, Uh, just precious families. And uh, it's just such an amazing thing to look back at that picture and know that apart from the faithfulness of those 40 people, um, Stonegate Church would not be what it is. And the Lord has given you an amazing gift to be a part of a church family from its foundation so that in a decade from now, 15, 20 years from now, um, you're going to get to look back at that picture and see, man, the Lord took just our little faithfulness, our little commitment, our little just, we're going to be committed to being a, a, a refreshing presence in a church. Uh, we're going to bear burdens in this church. And you're going to get the joy of looking back in a few decades from now and watching what the Lord has done with that. It's an amazing thing. So I just want to be a voice into your life to be able to say this morning, be committed, be faithful, be a life-giving presence, and trust that in about two decades from now, you're going to be able to look back with such a deep gratitude and thankfulness for that. And for all those who are viewing online or you're here, if you know people in South South Fort Worth, if you're willing to move to South Fort Worth, this will be a great time to jump in with these people uh, to to plant this church, Trailview, in this area, just to be a gospel witness and light there. So with that said, um, we've got a couple of our elders, Dave and Guy who uh, we're just going to have a commissioning moment. And this is what we see in Acts chapter 13. Uh, They laid their hands on uh, Paul and Barnabas, and they sent them out to go make disciples who plant churches. And I can't wait to see in a decade or two from now, the churches are going to be planted out of this group of people. Uh, the, the grandbabies that we as a church are going to get to have, it's going to be an amazing, it's going to be an amazing thing. So we just can't wait for that. And so with that said, um, I would love for this to be a morning where we could just come up here and surround these guys and lay our hands on them. Uh, but it's just not going to be a morning for that. So where you are, you can just reach out your hand toward this group of people, and we're just going to ask the Lord to bless them, to give them all the miracles that they're going to need to see this church planted in South Fort Worth. So Guy and Dave, would y'all pray for us? Sure. Let's do it. So Derek, Rachel, Brandon, Lauren, we're so proud of you guys and thankful for you and thankful for your spirit. Just 
man, if we could challenge you to always remember the gospel and the power of that. So let us pray for you guys and send you out and knowing that you're going to do incredible things. So, Father, wow, the, the formation and the creation of your church historically and today is something that our minds can't understand. Man, how we thank you for that, how we thank you for your church and the power of, of your church and the people that are in it. How we pray for Derek and Rachel and Brandon and Lauren as they are following what you have placed in their hearts, and that is the formation of another one of your churches. Bless them. Surround them with your love. Protect them. Love on them. Help them to always remember the power of the gospel as they shepherd and lead people. God, we love them and trust them to you, and we pray that you will do this for your glory so that we can all say and look at, so we can all look and say, Father, look what you did. God, love on them. Hide them behind the cross. We send them out with your love in Jesus' name. Wow, what an awesome morning. It's just overwhelming to think that God made provision for South Fort Worth years and years ago before you even knew that was planned. And to stand here this morning and see you be planted, it's just a moment overwhelmed with grace. So we're just thankful for that. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, we do stand amazed and humbled this morning that you picked these men and their wives to plant this church, that you put this in them many, many years ago before they even had any idea this is what you had for them. And the path that you have taken them down has brought them to this point. And we know that heaven rejoices even as we speak this morning, that God is in this place and that he is smiling. And Father, I just pray for these families as they go, that your favor would be upon them, that you would love them, that you would care for them, Father, that you would carry them. Ronnie has said so many times, it takes a thousand miracles to start a church plant. And Father, I pray that each one of those miracles would be a moment to deepen the faith of these families, that they would look at that and see that you had them. They would trust you. And as the time goes on, they would just say, God has us. We are good. And Father, I pray that this would be a church where the gospel is spoken boldly, that it would be a church that impacts the community that they live in, that people would feel comfort and solace and hear the word week after week and would find a home. Father, I pray that these would be leaders that would weep for the sins, sins of their people, sins of God's people, that they would be on their knees before you asking help and covering over those people. I pray that you would just give them strength to go on each day. Give them perseverance, Father. And even as Rodney says, it's starting from a small seed. Lord, grow this into a great oak tree that would bless you and would glorify you. Father, we stand amazed by the provision you've given all of us. We are so thankful for each one of them. I stand here this morning just thankful that you have used Stonegate in a way that would plant churches and have a desire to do that. I pray that there would be 50, maybe 100 more in the next few years. And I pray the same for Trailview, that you would open their doors, Lord. They would be open-handed with what you have given them, that their people would be your people, Lord, to be used the way that you would desire. 
So Father, we stand, we just stand amazed by how you have loved us and how you care for us and how you have planted this church, Lord. Go before them. Give them great grace, Father. Help them to overcome any obstacles. Help them to be a light in this world that we live in. Father, we thank you. We love you. We praise you in all things. In Jesus' holy name, amen. 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 Can we give the Lord a round of applause? Mm -hmm. Okay, as they are making their way back to their seat, we're going to have just a moment where we get to respond to the Lord. And so there where you are, you can go ahead and bow with me, and I want to give you just a moment to engage uh, with God, asking that the Spirit of God would press into you what would be most helpful today and to wipe away the things that wouldn't be, and maybe you can ask yourself, is spiritual vitality there in my soul? worshiping Jesus, a heart that's offering and re-offering your life to the Lord, praying and fasting, listening and obeying. Are you making disciples? I don't know what that looks like for you, but Is that playing itself out in your life? If not, this is an invitation from God into that story of multiplication. And for some, this is that first step with the Lord. It's that first step where we turn from our sin as we throw our life upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And God has providentially through a thousand circumstances brought you into this room today or you into your living room watching this today so that this moment could be created. So that this precise moment would be the moment in your life when you take that decisive step of of coming to, to God with the empty hands of faith, trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to make you right with him. And if that's you and just the best way you know how, you can pray to God, offering your life to him, trusting Jesus, and he just stands with arms wide open, ready to rescue you, ready to bring you into the family. So there where you are, pray that to the Lord. Ask the Lord for that. Oh God, we love you. God, we are so, so thankful for your work in our church. God, we are grateful that that we get to be a part of a church where you can see your grace among us. So God, would you deepen that in us? God, would you make us a spiritually vibrant place, a place that multiplies personally and corporately. Make us a place where disciples are made and churches are planted. And it's in the good name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.